Now, I say all that to highlight that racism is this country's oldest virus, which still exists and has no vaccine. It's rooted in the legacy of slavery, and nobody can refute that. It is beyond contestation. The crazy and insidious thing is, though, that it's learned behavior. There's no biological predisposition to to racism. What's up, folks, and welcome to the Spun Today podcast, the podcast that is anchored in writing, but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. This is episode 172 of the show, and in this episode, I speak about the Trumpito-incited coup on the Capitol and the final season of the show, Mr. Robot. I hope you stick around for all that, but before we get into it, here is a very quick way that you can help support this show if you so choose. If you do any shopping on Amazon, like most of the world, I ask that you do so by clicking on any of the Amazon banners on my website. This will take you to Amazon where you can do your shopping like you normally do. It will not cost you anything extra, but I will get credit for driving traffic to their website. On January 6th, 2021, violent rioting Trump supporters stormed the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. In an attempt to prevent the certification of the 2020 presidential election, which, by the way, is more of a formality than than anything else. It's not like if you stop that process from happening, Trump automatically gets another four years or something like that. But it is a process by which Joe Biden, who was elected in November, would officially be validated as the next president of the United States. Now, the first thing I'd like to address related to this incident are folks that compare this attempted coup to the protests and riots that ensued after the murder of George Floyd, known as the Black Lives Matter protests that took place throughout the summer. Now, to do so, in my opinion, is to ignore the plight of black people in this country. And factoring in the historical perspective, which I'll dive into a bit in a second. But it is important to note that during the Black Lives Matter protests, you had a few different things going on. You had peaceful protesters, which by all accounts and purposes were the vast majority. You had rioters, both part of the whole Black Lives Matter protest and also just opportunist rioters, people that just wanted to fuck shit up, that have nothing to do with the movement, but found saw an opportunity to like blend in and do what they wanted to do. And then you had a faction of opportunist looters that, again, saw an opportunity to fuck some shit up and steal some shit. They're all incorrectly, in my opinion, lumped together into this quote-unquote Black Lives Matter movement. But that's where I guess the comparison comes in. Then in this attempted coup on the Capitol, you have a few different things going on as well. You have the majority of Trump supporters, then it's within reason to believe that you also have similar subsections of that group. People that were just there because they're caught up in the hype, people that are just there to fuck shit up, that don't really care about Trump, etc. But for the purposes of this episode, 
in this segment of it, I want to compare the two majorities. On one hand, you have Trump supporters storming a Capitol, not peacefully protesting, which in and of itself is an act of violence, versus the other side, which is a majority of peaceful protesters. Now, these Trump supporters feel, at least my understanding is, that they are fighting for something. They're not just malicious human beings that want to tear down Capitol buildings. They're largely misinformed, in my opinion, folks that were incited to believe that the election was stolen from them, that their voices are not heard, that they are being gamed, that their democracy has been eroded by the other side, and they've been egged on to believe that this type of behavior is what's necessary when their voices are not heard by the president of the United States. Through months and months of that literal type of rhetoric. And to folks that felt that way, I want to give a quick shout out to D.L. Hewley who said, for the folks that feel unheard as a result of these elections, imagine the people that have felt unheard since the year 1619. Seriously take a second to let the two differences sink in between an election cycle that didn't go your way versus hundreds of years of oppression, both of which bubbled up with culminating moments of on one side having a sitting president inciting violence and on the other side, the murder of George Floyd that then created these two types of protests that are being compared now. Imagine chilling, being at home, being with your family, being in your country, then being torn away from your family, put in chains, shipped off to a foreign land where you are then forced to do manual labor You have no say of when you eat, sleep, shit. Your women are raped routinely for 240, run that back, 240 plus years, 244, I believe. So that happens to you, your kids, your kids' kids, your great-grandchildren, and you're treated the exact same way. You're a piece of property. You're an animal. You're less than. That is ingrained not only into you as a black slave, but on the flip side, in the minds of the slave owners. They are less than. They are property. They are animals. There's generations of that type of mentality being perpetuated on both sides. Then in 1863, you have the Emancipation Proclamation that President Abraham Lincoln, a Republican, actually, signed into law, which essentially freed the slaves quote-unquote, freed the slaves. But they were freed without a pot to piss in after, again, 240-plus years of slavery and oppression. No land, no rights, no jobs, no identity, no history, no legacy. Just from one day to the next, poof. All right, you guys are freed. Go do something. And I mentioned the no jobs, no land, etc., because at the exact same time, European immigrants were coming to this country immigrating to this country, want to underline that, and given land by the government, given opportunities to build wealth, generational wealth. This is 1863, the year 1863. And this was going on, the land giving throughout the Midwest and the West, all throughout. But slaves have been emancipated, right? Then you go through this era of legal segregation under the Jim Crow laws for 
another century. Let these numbers sink in. Another hundred years of legal segregation. So the slaves are quote unquote freed, but this is where you see black schools, white schools, black water fountains, white water fountains, restaurants where colored folks can't go to, but white folks can. Segregation, separation, where that ingrained mentality that is already so entrenched in the fabric of this country just gets compounded more and more. Oh, you think you're free? You're not free. Go drink off that colored fountain over there. Nope, you can't be served in my restaurant for another hundred years. And I'm not going to turn this into a full-blown history lesson podcast. I'm not a fucking historian or anything like that by any stretch, but you can go even deeper into the maliciousness of things going on in this time where deliberate maliciousness, by the way, of where during this time where folks didn't have jobs, didn't have homes, etc., loitering was considered a jailable offense. So if black guy doesn't have a job, doesn't have a house, he's literally obviously in the street, he can now be incarcerated. And when you're incarcerated, those quote unquote freedoms that you were emancipated with get stripped away. And guess what? Slave labor is okay again. Do you not see the hypocrisy there? But that's a whole other topic. Take a deep dive into that if you'd like. So 240 plus years of literal slavery, then you're quote unquote freed into another hundred years of legal segregation. And then you're finally, after almost 400 years, considered quote unquote equal. Now I say all that to highlight that racism is this country's oldest virus, which still exists and has no vaccine. It's rooted in the legacy of slavery and nobody can refute that. It is beyond contestation. The crazy and insidious thing is, though, that it's learned behavior. There's no biological predisposition to, to racism. But I say that to say that as it existed then, it exists today. In most cases, not as blatantly as it did. But it is part of the mentality and actions and reactions of some people today. And some of those people are people in positions of power, people in positions of influence, whether it be within a corporate structure or in the judicial system, lawyers, judges, law enforcement. Again, not saying that all are, just saying that people are people. And people come from different backgrounds and are raised within different cultures, with different thought processes, with different ideas and ideologies, with different influences. And you can see it in our legislature with elected officials. And again, I want to be very clear that I'm not saying that everyone that stormed the Capitol is a racist bigot or that every Trump supporter is because they're not. Some folks are just, they just have conservative values. And this happens to be the guy on the conservative ticket that can get some of my things passed that I believe in. Some of my ideologies moved more towards becoming law. So this is the horse that I'm riding on right now. But there are other folks that are racist, that have these racist tendencies, these racist ideologies that inform their decision making, that makes them egg on a following of people that they have listening to them, that spew rhetoric of their elections and their democracy being stolen from them, that their rights are being eroded, and incite riots like and the exact riot that we saw on January 6th. 
And as a result, people lose their lives. I believe during the Black Lives Matter protests, I think the death count is up to a couple dozen or just shy of that. During this one incident at the Capitol, five people died, including, by the way, a police officer or security guard that was just trying to do his job that happened to be a Trump supporter. He got beat by other Trump supporters with a fire extinguisher and then subsequently died at the hospital from those injuries. But if you don't see the difference between 400 years of slavery and oppression culminating in the public murder of George Floyd, which is likely this generation's Emmett Till, versus voters who have been incited and misinformed being upset that their guy didn't win and proceeding to do the actions that we saw on January 6th, then I don't know what to tell you, but I'm definitely not going to argue with you because... A wise man told me don't argue with fools because people from a distance can't tell who is who. I'll tell you what, though, I definitely want to see the same energy kept from when Trump pointed out the Statutes and Monuments Act and signed an executive order stating that anybody who defaces any federal land, including statues and monuments, will get a minimum 10-year jail sentence. I want to see that same energy kept. And I am happy that the folks at the, the FBI has been able to find from like the videos and selfies and shit like that that these fucking idiots posted of themselves, which is just like a whole other, even though we saw like different age groups within there, it's just a whole other lens by which you can view this generation poorly and you know how we quote unquote tell on ourselves and post shit about ourselves for clout basically and just put everything out there on social media like a bunch of these clowns got round up quickly because of that but yeah i'm definitely glad they are getting arrested and but i want to see like the follow-through with this and it'll be interesting to see what that actually comes out to be and, you know going back to the point where i said like racism doesn't have to be blatant but you see remnants of it and you see like ripples of it, how certain ideologies like permeate generations. I'll give you an example of that. I know someone that told me once while the Black Lives Matter protests were happening, were beginning to happen like across different cities and, you know, different states and across the globe, really. But while they were like, you know, picking up after a few days and, you know, continuing, like I literally had somebody tell me, but we get it. Why are they still protesting if they already protested? Why can't they just go home? And this is before, like, police cars were set on fire and the rioting and the looting and shit like that. That's some subsets of of that group that they devolved to. You enter me. I'm like, really, dude? Because nothing has changed. Protesting is not a, a mechanism by which you hold the protest, do it once, and then subsequent change stems from it. Those protests, those walks, those marches that don't yield anything year after year after year after year, century after century after century. It's like, that's not how it works. That's why they're not just quote unquote going home after a day or two of protesting. And after what the entire world witnessed, imagine being not heard since 1619. I'll give you another example with Colin Kaepernick, who say what you want to say about him when he was kneeling in protest of police brutality. In hindsight, if some change I actually happened from that peaceful protest would we have had the george floyd situation i don't know but my point is that was peaceful protesting that was actually the way that a white marine united states marine taught him was the respectful way to peacefully and silently protest during the national anthem 
as opposed to sitting, which I believe he was doing beforehand. And then what happens? You get people shitting on him. Why is he doing that? He shouldn't be doing this. It's disrespectful. Make up your fucking minds. What do you want? Peaceful protests? Riots? Nothing? Sit down and shut up? Is that what you want? Come on, dog. And then from a business perspective, the guy gets blackballed, dropped from his team. I don't know enough about football to get into the semantics of was he actually good enough to be on the team? You know, it should be based on his merit, which I agree with. But from everything that I've heard, he would at least be a second stringer, at least. Probably starting on some of the shitty teams. Fucking won a Super Bowl a couple years before that, for Christ's sakes. So just from a veteran OG perspective, to have a guy like that in the locker room would be beneficial to, to a young team. But semantics, right? My point with bringing up this example is not just the juxtaposition between people complaining about protests and riots and then also complaining about silent and peaceful protests, but also to bring up the private business piece of this conversation, which is the NFL is a private organization. They can do whatever the fuck they want with their organization. Just like Facebook, just like Twitter. Those of you that feel that corporations should have the same rights as people and elect officials, congressmen and women, senators, presidents that are all for deregulation for deregulation's sake, this is what you get. Hashtag Citizens United. Companies, corporations are literally mandated to increase shareholder returns quarter after quarter after quarter. They will, of course, do. It's their fiduciary responsibility to do what's in their best financial interest. If their base of supporters, meaning a a corporation, their customers, their financing, the pool of money coming their way, is coming mainly from a conservative bent, and you have a black dude kneeling in protest, and people don't really get the nuances of it, but just kind of blanket that into, that's disrespectful to the country, that's a bad look from a corporate perspective, so... Just do away with that guy. Go where the money's at. Then you have companies seeing the money play from the other side. Nike, let's put cap on some merch and sell it. There's an untapped resource there. We'll be looked at as the quote-unquote good guys. This pool of potential customers is is growing. Which leads me to the whole discussion on social media banning Trump. Meaning Facebook, Twitter, Instagram kicking Trump off of their platforms as private companies which have the right to do so. And I believe to date, Twitter is a permanent ban, whereas Facebook and Instagram have allowed him back in. Now, this is, I believe, a a debate, a topic that we're going to hear a lot more of, not just through and around Trump, but just the larger debate of should social media and big tech companies be regulated? Have they gotten to a point in size, in influence? in their ability to literally change and overthrow governments, have they gotten to this monopolistic size where they can't be afforded the free reign rights of corporations can do whatever the fuck they want? Is it a free speech issue? Which is the side that I tend to lean toward personally. But I definitely see both sides of it. Sam Harris, for example, on the Waking Up podcast, was discussing several things and he touched on the fact that he doesn't believe this is a free speech issue. He's via and he stated about Trump that Trump has violated Twitter's terms of service for years, including threatening nuclear war, 
attacking private citizens, knowing that millions of his rabid followers would dox them, seek them out, possibly do harm. He knowingly spread misinformation. And as Sam Harris pointed out, people have gotten kicked off of Twitter every single day for far less. And then to folks that say, yeah, but you know, you have uh, China's Communist Party has an official Twitter page or something like that. And Sam Harris says, yeah, they should be fucking kicked off too. All valid points by someone whose opinion I highly respect, but I can't help it be weary of where is that line drawn? Who's doing the deciding? Who are the decision makers here in terms of who gets blocked and banned and kicked off and is essentially silenced? It's a really slippery slope and hence the the crux of the debate, right? Because think of things like, for example, flat earthers, (laughs) people who believe the earth is flat. To me, flat earth is like the gateway idea to retardation. But should those folks not be able to talk or express their misinformed ideas? I don't know. Maybe they should be able to. And the way to correct for those types of ideas are with good ideas and knowledge and science and facts. But then on the flip side of that, you have folks like the president that use it to incite violence, use it as a tool to spread misinformation. You have companies, literal companies, I believe one is called, one that uh, a journalist, Renee DeResta, covered was called the Internet Research Agency. I believe I have that correct. But it's something like that. And it's like a, literally like a corporate nine to five gig in Russia that's a troll farm. And their job is to clock in, clock out, and spend the whole day on Facebook, uh, you know, creating Trump groups, creating Hillary groups, creating and sowing disinformation and misinformation. To the point that they literally go into pro-Trump pages and then go into anti-Trump pages and put forth suggestions for meeting up in the in real life, not just on Facebook, and having like a, a protest or a riot. And then they also organize an opposite party protest or riot, or let's say for the sake of argument, a, a BLM protest or riot literally across the street so that these two groups show up at the same exact time and you cause chaos. Like there's people who's literally right now as I speak, that's what they're doing right now. That's their work. And that's fucked up. I see the need to to not have that. But at what cost? It's a really interesting debate. I know I've killed this quote to death, but I'm reminded of Benjamin Franklin's quote of, he who gives up freedom for safety deserves neither. And to Sam Harris's point, people are removed from social media every day. The comedian Lil Duval, he, you know, he puts up like posts and like funny shit and he's blocked and kicked off all the time. I think he's on his like third or fourth Instagram account now. There was a a show, a popular uh, podcast actually, that was uh, in an Australian conspiracy uh, theory podcast from a guy named Pete Evans. Spotify removed his show and uh, he was removed from Facebook like a year ago. Like shit happens all the time, but clearly not enough, right? My brother sent me a 60 minutes piece of you know, people being outed and doxxed just like by like conspiracy theorists. And uh, there was a case with the the whole uh, Sandy Hook massacre where there's this like this conspiracy theory that it was really a false flag and it never happened. And the parents of who lost their child are being like harassed and terrorized every day by these fucking whack jobs. And they have no recourse really, you know, like what do you do? And my fix to that, which is not obviously a panacea this is a very fractured issue 
But a step in the right direction, I believe, would be that do away with the anonymity online. I guarantee you that 95% or more of the people online, and that's a very scientific figure (laughs) that I just pulled out my ass, but I guarantee you, like the tough talk and the bullshit and the rhetoric and stuff like that, that these people spew online and they have like an avatar of of like an egg on, on Facebook or a picture of something else. I guarantee you, you would see a huge drop in that if people had the ability to know who the fuck you really are. And I don't mean, you know, putting someone's name and address and phone number, obviously that has its own like dangers and shit like that, like publicly for everybody to see. I just mean for like from the perspective of like Twitter, for example, they have verified accounts, right? You can't just say that you're Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks has to go through a process to be verified as, okay, this is the real Tom Hanks. Make everybody go through a similar process by which, you know, they could use screen names or whatever the fuck they want, but their actual names, known address, you know, some sort of identification to who they actually are. Twitter, Facebook, these big tech companies have on the back end and are mandated to hand over to the authorities when and if there's a situation where that person ensues a riot or docks to someone or is harassing someone. Because now somebody on the receiving end of that, they don't have the recourse to go off after that person or go after the social media company. And I get the argument from the side of the social media company of, we can't control everybody on here. We created this platform. You know, we kick people off every day, but we can't, you know, people fall through the cracks. And we can't be sued by everybody that gets their feeling hurt online because if we did, then we wouldn't exist. So it's like a, like a catch 22, right? But I also want to point out on the flip side of all this, the something Andrew Schultz and Charlemagne were saying on the Brilliant Idiots podcast, which is the hypocrisy of these big social media tech platforms on now banning Trump after he clearly violated the terms of service for years. And now, a couple weeks before he's out of office, then kick him out. After making buku bucks on him and his content and his followers and shit like that. And then back to Sam Harris, he thinks that Facebook should be definitely broken up, uh, similar to how Monopoly is broken up, and agrees to regulation for social media companies, and maybe they should be treated more like utilities or telecom companies. Before we get there, though, I think this, this undoing the whole anonymity thing could help. And where people know that their actions will be privy to the possibility of legal action. And then for those situations where the social media platform fucks up and, you know, doesn't kick somebody off in time before they do some shit, some shit that that truly affects someone else, then they're held liable as well. I don't know. Just food for thought. And the last point that I'll bring up uh, related to Sam Harris's Waking Up podcast which I thought was interesting, was uh, related to the polarization problem that we have between the left and the right. He points out how you can have cancer and heart disease at the same time. These aren't like mutually exclusive problems. They're issues that have different symptoms and different sources. And he warns against the left harping on the idea that if this was black and brown people storming the Capitol, things would have been a lot different. A lot of more people would have died. Which, if I had to make a bet, if somebody told me, would you bet everything you have that if this was a Black Lives Matter protest and it was black and brown people storming the Capitol, what's the over-under of more or less than five people dying during that occurrence? I would go all in and say more. I'd take the over every day. 
But his point, which I agree with, is that it's become this like talking point where Biden, Kamala, the Obamas, all the left-leaning talking heads are saying the same thing. And then the conversation goes to that, goes to that point, that singular point of if it was black and brown people, they would have been treated differently. To me, I think, of course, but I see his point of then this entire situation only becomes about that. It doesn't become about the bigger issue because now it becomes a whole conversation of, oh, now the Democrats are hypocrites and now they have a problem with rioting. Now they have a problem with protesting and stuff like that because folks like Biden and Kamala, which although they did condone those actions when they were happening, as most of them, you know, Democrats and left-leaning folks did, they didn't do so enough, which I could definitely see that argument. Then the last thing that Harris points out is to a bigger issue that now Putin and Xi Jinping from China, Putin from Russia, can now show that their constituents, their country, see, democracy doesn't work. Look, these fucking clowns over there storming the Capitol, protesting the streets, black versus white. Look at that. That doesn't work. That's democracy. You guys want that here? That's dangerous, especially now that we are in a geopolitical global economy type of situation. We're not the, you know, big swinging dicks anymore. The playing field is being leveled. Did you guys hear about Jack Ma, by the way? Slightly off topic, but to the point of the dangers of having uh, uh, the ideologies of a country like China being exacerbated throughout the globe. Jack Ma, billionaire, creator and founder of Alibaba, gave some speech, some statement around um, slightly criticizing, but like a veiled criticism of China and its economy. One of the Not only one of the richest men in China, multi-billionaire, one of the richest people on the planet. After those statements, homeboy disappeared. Nobody has seen him since. There's some ideas that maybe, you know, he's in hiding because, you know, he said something that he shouldn't have said. But one of the richest, most influential people on the planet saying a slight criticism of his country either got disappeared or took it upon himself to disappear himself. And you have the leaders of that country, Xi Jinping, gaining points for their ideologies and that type of mentality that makes it so that people have to be silenced because of the divisive divide and conquer approach that we take within our country. And by we, I mean our culture, our politics, our social interactions, all of it. Now, one positive thing that I'll say in closing from the past four years is that Trumpito has been so polarizing that so many more people have come into the political process whether it be voting for the first time or just paying attention more to politics because he was so polarizing. And we see that with just voter turnout in general. Trump got the most votes ever by any sitting president ever in history. Biden got the most votes ever by any presidential candidate in history. I think that's a good thing. I think that's a positive. And I'm recording this literally a day before the inauguration of Joe Biden as president. So unless within the next like 24 to 48 hours, Trumpito hasn't started like a fucking nuclear war with Iran or something on his way out or has done some other fuck shit, you'll be listening to this episode the day after or days after Joe Biden is sworn in as president because the episode is going to literally drop the day after. But my 
message, I guess, to you folks listening. And it's definitely something that I'm going to push forward with myself is to keep that same engagement energy. Don't think, oh, now, you know, Joe Biden and, and Kamala are, are in power, so we can go back to normal, not care about politics. That's what happened with Obama. We were under the false impression one guy could do it all, even when he had Senate and congressional control, took our foot off the gas, didn't show up to the midterm elections, and the majority of what he wanted to do for six years was intentionally just blocked. And I'm not saying you have to be a Democrat, you have to be a Republican. I'm just saying continue to pay attention, whatever side you're on. And Biden and Harris both have admitted wrongs in their past with the 94 crime bill on Biden's side or excessive sentencing for petty charges on Harris's side and so forth. And these are wrongs that they have to be held accountable for. Now that they're in office, they can be held accountable for them. Now's the time to stay active, stay vigilant, continue to pay attention, and make sure you hold them and our other elected officials at the federal, state, city, and local levels accountable by voting them in and out, by interacting with their offices when necessary, so that they can rectify those wrongs as best they can. Mr. Robot, the fourth and final season. Mr. Robot was created by Sam Esmail, and it stars some dope actors, Rami Malek, who is coincidentally in a new movie that's coming out on HBO Max called, I believe, The Little Ones, that also stars Denzel Washington, Jared Leto, and looks good. Uh, But Mr. Robot also has Christian Slater who's in it, Carly Chaikin, who did an amazing job as uh, Rami Malek's sister on the show, Grace Gummer, which I remember, I believe she was in the newsroom. That's where I remember her from. Uh, B.D. Wong, which played an amazing, like, dual role. And I remember him, most notably, at least for me, from the Oz HBO series, where he played a priest, if I remember correctly, uh, for the prison. Here is the official synopsis. Elliot, a brilliant but highly unstable young cybersecurity engineer and vigilante hacker, becomes a key figure in a complex game of global dominance when he and his shadowy allies try to take down the corrupt corporation he works for. It's a dope show, especially if you're into like hacking. And by into hacking, I don't mean like hacking yourself, but just like fascinated by it as I am. It has strong characters, beginning with Rami Malek, who is like this loner, can't get along with others, you know, like socially awkward uh, type of guy that is just like a computer mastermind. By night, he's a vigilante hacker and exposes people that are into like kitty porn and shit like that and just doing nefarious shit online. Let me give a shout out to the writers of the show, starting with the creator, Sam Esmail, followed by Randolph Leon, Jeff McKibben, Adam Penn, Amelia Gray, Ted Cooper, Robbie Pickering, Courtney Looney, Kyle Bradstreet, Cor Adana, Kate Erickson, David Iserson, and Lucy Taylor. They did a fantastic job, in my opinion, with closing out the series. You know, like the pacing didn't feel off. It seemed like they still cared about the show. It didn't seem rushed. They answered a lot of unanswered questions, mainly the main one of what the fuck is going on with Elliot, which I'll get to in a bit. Spoiler alert. Because if you're a fan of the show, you know that he goes to a psychiatrist and he has 
like this schizophrenic type of disorder where he pictures his dead father as still being alive, but only he can see him. And then later we find out that it's actually, uh, he was diagnosed with a dissociative identity disorder, DID. But early on, we just, we know there's something psychologically going on with him, but don't know exactly what. Like at first we, we think that that character of Mr. Robot that he created of, of his dead father a representation of his dead father was like a real person. Then we realized that nobody sees him except him. Then throughout the series, like second and third season, it like blends between Mr. Robot and him being one and the same. And by the fourth season, it's kind of like, what the fuck? He has some mental health issues, but we don't know exactly what. And they definitely answer that question in this fourth and final season. I also appreciated that they, they had a lot of flashback scenes and they gave the background story or took a deeper uh, dive into the background story and history of certain characters like White Rose's character played by B.D. Wong, for example, who plays a, I don't think you could label as transgender. Maybe gender fluid would be the proper term to use because he switches back and forth between being a man and being a woman, you know, being dressed as a woman, you know, speaking as a woman going by the name of White Rose and running his underground, the Dark Army, which is like this underground hacker group. And then by day as a businessman and head of an enterprise of the wealthiest and most powerful men in the world. And we get to see how White Rose became White Rose. He was in love with another guy back in the day when he was younger. And the guy was being forced to you know, marry a girl because it wasn't, you know, safe for for the, either one of them to be out. And on his wedding day, the boyfriend slash lover is in a room and they're contemplating, you know, running away together and stuff like that. And they're in a room during the wedding reception that's going on. And he says he can't live that way and winds up slitting his own throat. And as he does so, his blood splatters all over these white roses that are that are there in the room. Hence the name White Rose. And then from there on out, White Rose's character, who is in this like powerful position in government, leverages that and you know goes forward and honors the memory of her partner by you know pursuing to dress like a woman and stuff like that. And is like hell bent on this idea that you kind of get trickles of throughout the the whole series of if she thinks she can build a time machine or go into this alternate reality or undo the past and make it so that she can be with her partner again. It's like something along those lines, but kept like covert. Then Angela in this season, which is the like love interest of Elliot's, winds up dying, getting killed towards the beginning of of the series. I think it was like the first or second episode. And her, we know now father which is the CEO of E-Corp, the company that Ellie works for, kind of sort of looked the other way and let it happen. And the father is one of these people that's like in bed with uh, White Rose's organization, which again is this like group of rich and powerful folks that really run the world. And that was like a, you know, powerful, dark thing that happened. Elliot's character, in my opinion, as these things are going on throughout the series, you see his character unravel more and more. And he begins to like dis disregard his own code and his sense of morality at times in terms of like taking more risk to accomplish like the goal that he has to 
steal all of the money of all these powerful folks and give it to pretty much everyone else in the form of e-coins, which is like this show's version or this world's version of like cryptocurrency, for example. And it's like ubiquitous. It's everywhere in this world. But to that end, you know, he gets like sloppy along the way is what I'm getting at. And there's actually this very suspenseful episode where he's like running a hack that's like central to this like bigger plan idea in a building known as a virtual realty. And then he, to save his sister who's helping him out on this, winds up darting out of the building after completing the task at hand, but almost getting caught by the security in the building. But by that point, the security had already called the cops. So it was either get arrested or try this. And he darted out of the building and it ensued in like a foot race followed by you know the cops getting in in cars and calling back up and stuff like that and just like chasing him throughout the city and that was a super suspenseful episode i thought it was like really really well done oh you know there there was a this other character called vera played by elliot villar and his character was dope he was like in earlier seasons and then wound up like popping back up in this one he has a couple of dope scenes with elliot that are just like intense and captivating like he's a really captivating actor and he like drew you in when he was having like these dialogues and like long monologues in a couple of episodes with a dope story that he tells about a bully uh, growing up and how the bully wound up getting like dealt with and he was a guy that dealt with the bully or he was actually the bully i forget which and mr robot winds up calling him uh dominican psycho which i thought was pretty cool shout out dominicans but it was like a play on like american psycho and the fact that he was a Dominican drug dealer on the show. And we see like the ending of a lot of different characters. For example, Tyra Wellick's character, which was a key character throughout the series. He winds up leaving himself for dead by choice in a selfless act to allow Elliot to continue, which is very against what we would expect from Tyra Wellick, who to this point was always just like a selfish character. You have a sick breakthrough in a forced psychiatry session that, you know, Vera winds up kidnapping Elliot's psychologist and then Elliot and like forces him to have a session because he wants to get some information out of Elliot to see like what angle he can use to have something over on Elliot and then force Elliot to work for him to some capacity. In this forced session, it comes out that Elliot was really molested by his father when he was younger and that's why he's so hell-bent on being this vigilante hacker that outs people that are into like kitty porn and that definitely explained a lot but was also an extremely intense scene like that was like a jaw-dropping type of scene for me they introduced this character that's part of the dark army in this season you know working for white roses underground organization and she's like a, a taxidermist and she is a creepy sadistic bitch her name is Janice, and she was played by Ashley Atkinson. And she, like, befriended the mother of Dom, the FBI agent that was recruited last season and, like, forced to work for the Dark Army. But she's kind of sent to, like, make sure she keeps Dom in line because she's, like, bordering on trying to out the Dark Army. And that relationship finally ended with Dom and Darlene, Elliot's sister, being held by this taxidermist lady and a couple of goons to try to locate Elliot's location, try to find Elliot's location. And if not, they're, you know, going to kill him. 
and the taxidermist lady stabs Dom in the chest while, you know, she's tied up and everything. So she's like wheezing on the floor and, you know, she's very calmly explaining, you know, she has about 24 minutes or something like that to to live. You know, her that wheezing sound is the sound of her lungs collapsing, but she can live off the other one for X amount of time, blah, 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 trying to coerce Darlene to give up the location of her brother. And then Dom is able to, in a very badass move, yank the knife out of her chest, even though she knows that'll just like speed up and exacerbate her inability to breathe, you know, if she doesn't get medical attention like ASAP. After that, she like uses it to, I believe, cut the taxidermist's, um, no, one of the guys, cut one of the guys' like Achilles and he falls to the ground. Then she's able to grab his gun and she like shoots the other, the lady dead in the head and kills the other two guys. And then they call an ambulance, etc. So it was like a, a badass way to get out of that scene and save herself and Darlene. What else? Another character we see, we see White Rose lose control um, towards the end of the, of the season. Someone that is so obsessed with time and controlling time and in control of everything throughout the entire series. She completely loses it. Or he, rather, because he was in, he was like, dressed as a guy at this point and had a meeting with the E Corp CEO, aka Angela's father who by this point was in cahoots with Elliot to overthrow White Rose and like her plans and her ideas and shit. But he wasn't aware that Elliot was planning to also steal all the money, et cetera, et cetera, and re- redistribute it to everyone else. But White Rose completely loses it. And as they're leaving uh, a meeting, winds up shooting him in public. There weren't that many people around, obviously, but, you know, because it was nighttime, but it wasn't public on the stairs of a building. So we see that character arc of a character that's like always in control take a complete 180. There's a few cameos throughout the series, but definitely this in this uh, season of New York One. So shout out to them. I watch them like almost every morning. It's uh, for those of you outside of New York <laughs> and uh, that maybe actually don't have Spectrum Cable because it's specific to Spectrum. Um, New York One is like Channel One and it's like the all day news channel. So that was pretty cool to see. Then there's a really interesting scene where White Rose and Elliot sit to talk they meet for the second time ever throughout the series and each sees the other as the one that wants to destroy the world while each sees themselves as the one who wants to save the world which is very ironic and like the juxtaposition between the two characters and just that interesting dynamic of you know hero and villain like the villain doesn't see him or herself as the villain they see themselves as the hero they just have a different purpose and vice versa the hero doesn't see themselves as the villain. They see themselves as the hero. Even though from the other person's perspective, the other person is the villain or the hero. So then by this point, White Rose says that she activated this machine, which has been like the project, the secret project that she's been working on all along, and kind of alludes to it being able to set things right and that she's not, you know, people that have died are not really going to be dead anymore and kind of alludes to like parallel worlds and shit like that, and then winds up shooting herself. And while the machine is active, there's like a nuclear meltdown in this place. Then all goes dark, but Elliot like comes to. And then things like switch up without real explanation. And by switch up, I mean Angela's alive, and her and Elliot are in a relationship. They're actually engaged. They're about to get married. Elliot doesn't have a sister named Darlene anymore. He doesn't have a sister. He's an only child. His father's alive. His mom's alive. He has like a lot of friends. E Corp, where he used to work, is actually now F Corp. White Rose 
is alive and she's like this philanthropist. Elliot, is, instead of an employee, he is the CEO of a company named Allsafe. The guy Tyrell Wellick, who's the CFO and tapped to become the CEO of E Corp, is now the head of F Corp. And it's like a parallel universe, a parallel reality. And Elliot is like, what the fuck is going on? But at the same time, he's like, wait, did White Rose actually build some sort of fucking machine that created this new reality? And it's like almost as if everything negative in his life from before turned positive. And everything positive, like the only real positive thing that, that he had in his life, which was Darlene, his sister that always stood by his side, she wasn't in his life anymore. And, you know, then Mr. Robot, his that like split personality comes back and, and he's telling him, you know, he's seeing that he's getting into this world and, and you know, he's going to marry Angela in a day or two. And he's just like kind of sort of going with the flow because things are so good. And Mr. Robot like reminds him, he's like, yo, this isn't your life. This isn't your world. What are you doing? And, you know, he's in his apartment. But then another Elliot shows up like another one of himself. And he looks at him like, who the fuck are you? And why do you look like me? And like, he winds up like knocking him out and stuff like that and trying to like steal his identity or just play it off. Like he is the Elliot of this, you know, timeline. And actually before he knocks him out, he's like sits down with him and, and like speaks, speaks to him and finds out that that Elliot, the new one that just walked in, he says that when he's bored, he creates people in his mind. Like he makes drawings and he like creates different characters in his mind. One of which was eerily similar to the Elliot that we've been following throughout this entire series. Then our Elliot, the one that we've been following, winds up knocking out and killing the other Elliot, which plays to the point I made earlier of him no longer really having like a moral compass. And from his perspective, then, you know, things are, are going to be great after that. You know, he has his family back minus his sister. Uh, he has the love of his life back. He has this perfect cookie cutter world where he's the CEO of a company and everything is going great. And he somehow wound up in this parallel reality through that machine that White Rose created. But then from this point forward, then what is really going on begins to reveal itself. And it's a really interesting dope twist that Sam Esmail uh, went with. And it's that our Elliot, the one that we've been following throughout this entire series, wasn't the real one. The real Elliot is the one with that like cookie cutter life and that walked in and was like, who the hell are you? And that confessed that he kind of like makes people up in his mind and stuff like that. And that Elliot has this like mental health issue where the Elliot that we're watching is one of the personalities that he actually has made up in his mind. And Mr. Robot is another one. And then we find out that there's two other ones, his mother, one played by his mother, and then one played by his younger self, which kind of have like recurring kind of like flashbacks throughout his throughout the series. But each of these personalities are figments of his own imagination. We as the viewers were just watching through the lens of one of those split personalities, which is super interesting. And as like a version of his therapist, Krista breaks it down to him in the show, he has this disassociative personality disorder and he created Mr. Robot as like this protector type character. And the Elliot that we follow throughout the series, as well as the young Elliot and the mom, and we realized then that we never really knew the real Elliot. But that Elliot that we knew thought he was the real Elliot. And then we see him have like this quick arc of having to become okay with that. And then coming to the realization that he is okay with being one part 
of these like four split personality disassociative personality disassociative personalities that make up the real Elliot, Elliot which then allows that real Elliot to be stable and move forward with his life it's kind of a bit of a mind fuck but yeah man it's a it's a good show i really enjoyed it if you think that sounds like something you'd be interested in obviously feel free to check it out it is it's a usa show but all seasons are available on amazon as well if you're an amazon prime member you can stream them all for free it was a fun watch for me i'm i'm personally into shows that are well i'm into different types of shows but I was into this show in particular just because of the characters. Like, it was very character-driven, especially Elliot's character was, like, really deep and complex, and I really enjoyed it. So, shout-out to Sam Esmail and the team that was able to put this one together. That is Mr. Robots. Check it out. And that's all I got for you, folks. That is episode 172 of the Spun Today podcast. Uh, Oh, you know, something I forgot to mention. My bad for episode 171, by the way in terms of sound quality i noticed after several hours of editing and uploading it and getting it all together that i forgot to run the files through levelator which is this program that kind of like evens out the like the ups and downs of of the audio so although the content obviously would have been exactly the same the sometimes you have like peaks in my voice or like lows in my voice I think generally the entire episode sounded a little lower than usual, but by the time I realized it, it wasn't something I could uh, go back and fix. So my bad for that. And it's the first time that happened since I discovered the Levelator tool like 150 episodes ago. So it's not too bad of a track record. Anyway, guys, thanks for checking out this episode. Hopefully you stick around to listen to a couple of ways you can help support this show if you so choose. And I'll be speaking to you next time. Peace. Hey folks, Tony here. If you're enjoying the show, do me a favor. Rate and review it on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to help out the show in other ways, I'll give you a one-stop shop of sorts to do so. Go to spuntoday.com forward slash support. That's where you'll find a ton of different ways to help support this show, such as shopping on Amazon. If you do any shopping on Amazon, like most of the world, I ask that you do so by clicking on any of the Amazon banners on my website. This will take you to Amazon where you can do your shopping like you normally do. It will not cost you anything extra, but I will get credit for driving traffic to their website. Speaking of Amazon, they fulfill a bunch of the merch that I have available. If you go to spuntray.com forward slash support, you're gonna find a brand new merch section where you'll find the iconic Podcasts vs. Anybody super soft premium cotton t-shirt. You'll also find the legendary Spun Today Podcast tee, which is in the style of the New York City plastic thank you bags logo. For my fellow Dominicans out there, I have a dope Dominican Escudo t-shirt. You know where the Lacoste or Polo shirts have their little logo? Picture that but instead a Dominican Escudo. All available now in a variety of different colors for men and women in all sizes. In the Spun Today merch section, which again is at spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll also find a bunch of other t-shirt designs, long sleeve t-shirts, short sleeve t-shirts, 
color-changing coffee mugs, and much, much more. Check out all the merch at sponsorday.com forward slash support. All of my short stories can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash short stories. The free writing pieces that I read, share, and review during the free writing session episodes of this show can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash free writing. There you can read all the pieces that made the podcast as well as tons and tons of others. My books are available in any digital format of your choice, whether it's Kindle, Apple's iBooks, Kobo, you name it. They're also available in paperback. You can check them out at spuntoday.com forward slash books. My debut novel, Fractal, is a sci-fi time travel story of a group of righteous travelers that attempt to right the wrongs of the injustices of the past. My nonfiction, Make Way For You, is a collection of tips for getting out of your own way. So if you need some motivation, inspiration, and a good old-fashioned kick in the ass, that'll be the read for you. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash books or search for those titles on Amazon. Another great and free way that you can help support this show is by subscribing to my newsletter by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe. You'll get a photo, podcast, video, quote, and word of the week every single Monday at noon. What else do you have to look forward to on a Monday? Plus, you'll be the first to know whenever I publish a new book. And if for whatever reason you choose to, you can unsubscribe at any time. Go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you'll get the very next one. At spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll also find links to my Patreon, Ko-fi, and PayPal donation pages. Patreon and Ko-fi allow you to make recurring donations per episode, and you even get some bonus content for doing so. PayPal allows you to make a one-time donation to the show. For my fellow writers and creatives out there, a really cool way for you to be featured on this show is to respond to my five-question Spun Today questionnaire. I'll read your responses on a future episode of the show and share them with the Spun Today community. Think about it. If your responses could potentially spark inspiration in someone else, why not share that? To do so, go to spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Spun Today on both those platforms. Check out and like the Spun Today Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Spun Today. I'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to the Spun Today YouTube page. Just search for Spun Today on YouTube or click on any of the YouTube icons on my website. There you'll not only get the full versions of this podcast, but you'll also get bonus content like shortened episode clips and much, much more. And as always, folks, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. I love you, Aiden. I love you, Daddy.